And I want to speak a little bit about not grown weary. I, I've sensed a little bit, not only here, but in, in Australia and then in some of the churches, a lot of good things happen, but there seems to be a lot of people that are getting weary. And I want to speak into that and, and offer a solution from the Word of God uh, with regards to that. And, you know, weariness is not always bad stuff because Paul encourages the church in uh, Galatia, in Galatians 6, line, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. How many of you sometimes get weary in doing good? It can be weary work, and sometimes with um, not much appreciation. But the, uh, the Word of God says, for in the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are, belong to the family of God. And um, Isaiah 40 is this amazing scripture here, um, one of my favorite passages with all of the other hundred favorite passages. I seem to have a favorite passage every week, but uh, this is certainly one of them for today. And it's Isaiah 40, and because there's a solution to this, Hebrews 10 says this, that we are running a race. And we have to run this race with perseverance. And we, we, and we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's not only the author of our faith, but he perfects our faith in us. And, um, and so we're in a race. And I'm going to read this, and because the, the context of that is that um, I haven't run a marathon. How many of you have actually run a full marathon in this place? Hey, I feel good. <laughs> But if I was going to, um, I would have to train. I'd have to uh, do certain things to make sure that I can finish it. And if we're going to finish the, way, the race uh, with, uh, that that's marked out for us, we need to apply some biblical principles to that that will help us on the way. After 35 years or so, being uh, saved and in ministry for about 30 of those at some Thing. I have seen many, many good friends of mine burn out. A lot of them have come back after rest, but some of them just uh, burnt out. And that's not what God's intention is for us. And just as we need physical exercise, we need spiritual exercise and discipline because often what is working on the outside of us is an indication of an inward issue. And one of those for me is the, one of the main reasons is we don't often or always spend time in the presence of God. And I've been convicted of that more and more for my life, daily coming into His presence. And, and we see this in Isaiah 40. It says this um, um, from verse 27, this amazing chapter, but it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by God. God, nobody seems to appreciate me. Nobody seems to be encouraging me. Lord, I don't even know if you're there for me. And uh, this is the answer God says. Do you not know, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no man can fathom. Aren't you glad that God 
running the whole universe and everything that goes on with that, plus keeping an eye on all of us, uh, does not grow tired or weary. Is that amazing? I get tired and weary just thinking what, how many calls he gets every day. <laughs> how many prayers and requests that come his way. <laughs> but he says this, but he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Add a few years onto your life like me, and uh, that can increase. But those who hope, certain some translations will say this, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. One of the things I want to encourage you is for us to be a people of the presence. God wants a daily relationship with us. And a funny story last night, I, I love storms. I love rain, crazy as it is. Uh, but I just, I just love it. So refreshing and so on. And and I've got this little spot um, in my yard. It's got a little cover. And often when it rains, I go and sit outside, not in the rain, but just there, just, just coming down. I absolutely love me. It just reminds me of God's abundance and His refreshing and, and all of that. It gives life. It gives growth. I know we all complain about rain, but when you've lived in places uh, uh, that are very dry, like Central Australia, it's a good thing. I promise you that. And uh, I was sitting there last night and minding my own business, and Mark Manfredi came at about 9 o'clock, crazy guy, this big truck comes, I said, what the heck, See, the light's there, comes through there, and he brought me uh, a Bible that he had uh, found for me, one that I was looking for, and he found for me, it's a 1973 NIV Bible, not that that means anything to anybody to you, but it's the first original one, and... Um, so we were chatting there for a while, and, and, uh, and we just had a bit of fellowship, and just, just even that was such a blessing to me that Mark would uh, think of me and on a Saturday night even come and do that. But more than that, just being able to sense the presence of God. And I want to encourage you in this. We cannot do life, and we cannot survive. We can survive, but we will not thrive without a personal um, daily Meeting with God. It's not for his benefit. He's, he's not waiting there biting his nails wondering if I'm going to say hello to him today or fellowship. It's for us. It's all about us renewing us, strengthening us, empowering us, filling us with his peace in the midst of the storms like the rain just raining down upon us. And I want to encourage you. It's not a religious duty. It's, a, it's life. And I know that in the times that we're going into as the church and maybe some a little bit more uh, tribulation and that kind of thing, but certainly as the harvest comes in, we're going, to, we're going to be careful that our strength is not in what we're doing and not in who we are, but is, is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, waiting upon Him on a daily basis. It's the most wonderful thing. It's the most wonderful privilege. And we're going to speak a little bit about this. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, this invitation from Jesus, 
this invitation. And I find in myself, when I'm not, when I'm not filling myself with the presence of God, I react totally different to circumstances. It's not that I don't overreact even then, but uh, so imagine me if I, if I, imagine me if I wasn't spending time with God. And uh, don't ask my wife that. But uh, Jesus gives us this amazing invitation. Come to me all who are weary and burdened. Weary and burdened. The things that you're carrying, the things that are wearing you down, the things that have become bigger than God. It could be any circumstance. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, things seem to shrink. But you know that I can put a penny to my eye and I can block out the whole sun. And we need to move those things out of the way. Take those burdens to Him. Give them to Him. And put our faith in this. And I will give you rest. Interesting thing about that in Hebrews 4 talks about the Sabbath rest. But it says in one little word that the children of Israel did not enter his rest because of unbelief. And some, some um, translations will say because of the sin of un, unbelief. They couldn't enter in because they were so anxious about everything and they did not put their trust in God. That's what it's saying. And then it says it later, therefore let us make every effort to enter his rest. Entering the rest of God takes effort. And I tell you what, because the enemy wants to distract us with everything else. If I did this, if I did this, if I tweaked that, if I did that, then maybe everything will come together. Sometimes you just got to let go. You say, God, this is way bigger than me. This is way bigger than my circumstance. I'm going to give it to you. And a lady, I remember, she was sharing in our church, and somebody asked her um, how she does that. She was, she was talking, um, uh, I think, on a subject on rest too. And she says, I picture myself sitting before my Father in heaven, and I write him a little note, and I put it on his lap, and he writes me a note back and says, I will see to it. And every time it comes up to, I give it back to God. Those kind of things start setting us free, and we need to be a people who are confident in who we are, in the call of us, and that we live a transcendent life, because many are going to come with many burdens, and we've got to point them to Jesus. We are not their answer. The church is the vehicle through which the Holy Spirit moves, and the church is the vehicle through which Jesus is glorified as the head of the church. He is the head, and we have to point people to Jesus. I think we can cut off a whole bunch of counseling if we did that more often. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We read this in Psalm 51, in the depths of David's despair. It's an amazing, traumatic time in David's life. Uh, he had pleased God and served God, and he had this indiscretion. Uh, he should have been at it says that the times when kings went off to war, David stayed at home. First thing, he was the king. He should have been off at war, and he wouldn't have got in trouble. But he stayed at home, and he saw this beautiful lady, and um, 
he uh, commits adultery with her, a uh, whole lot of things go wrong, and you can read the story for yourself. But he's in terrible despair, and he writes Psalm 51, the Psalm of Repentance. It's a psalm that I read over and over. It just brings life to me, uh, and because I, although I haven't sinned in those areas, I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace, just like everybody else. And he writes this in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, and this is the thing here that I want to, the joy of my salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. I want to speak about the joy of our salvation. But before this, he says, then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will turn back to you. How does that work? David understood something of the new covenant. Even under the old covenant, he, had this, he said, you don't even require sacrifices. You want a broken spirit and a contrite heart, you will not despise, he says in, in Psalm, um, Psalm 51. But he understood the love mercy of God. And how we can help sinners through this is by us being set free and helping others to get set free. We, have to be, we need to be honest. We will meet people that have gone through the same things of us, and they think we're all spiritual and holy. And you can say, you know what? I've, I've also messed up. I've also done this. But God, but God set me free. God set me free. God set me free. Poured His grace out of me. And that can turn people around. And for people to consider, well, if God can save you, He can save me. And sinners will begin to turn back. Many people are running away from God because of condemnation. And there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus, the Word of God. But there is conviction. There's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. And there's one way that you will know the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy every day. You will know when you do something wrong, and if you go through a day without doing something wrong, that's amazing. You'll know when you do something wrong like David did or, or less, you will, the voice of God always says, come to me. Come to me. And the enemy will always say, you've lost it, run away. That's always the voice of the, voice of the enemy. You will know that clearly. And so many people run away from God because of a failure instead of understanding that God has already forgiven them their sin on the cross. They just need to confess their sin. And the Word of God says this, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, there's good news. The good news is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I want to remind us that of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. The joy of our salvation is this. No matter what happens, we win. No matter what happens, we win. 
Do you know when you realize that, when you're in a place like that or where Deborah was, and you, people with so much fear, so much fear of what's going to happen next and, and understanding the transcendent peace that comes upon knowing that we win. We win. We can rest in the fact that God is bigger than us and that nothing can separate us from his love, us who are in Christ Jesus. You see, I want us to remind us about the gospel, our salvation. You see, the gospel is not about what we have done to save ourselves. It's about what Jesus did to save us. That according to Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions, but have now, who have accepted Jesus Christ, been made alive in Christ. Because the gospel is not about making good people religious, it's about making dead people alive. Religion kills. Relationship is what Jesus died for. He did not die for a religion. And we go get weary because we think we have to do stuff. Well, I think I have to come in His presence. I think I have to go to church. I think all of that. Instead of God, I'm so in love with you. I've got sisters that I want to be with your people. I want to worship. I want to pray. It's a big difference around than having all these rules. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey me. My, how I, through my prism, is, Jesus is saying, Fall in love with me, and you will want to obey me. Otherwise, I've got this list, I'm going to obey God, and oh. I know, thank the Lord, there's only ten commandments. <laughs> but we can break those all the time. But my heart is for God. He wants our heart. David messed up badly, but in Acts, he says, I found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Wouldn't that be the most biggest accolade that anybody say, you know, David, you messed up, Mike, you messed up sometimes, but I know you love me, and I loved you, and I paid the price for your sin anyway, so it's all good. You see, just as physically dead people can save themselves, and we need to understand this, it's not about doing stuff. We're not human doings. We're human beings, being his children. Interesting, in Ephesians, we're going to read this thing, this amazing church. They did everything right. If you read the part in Revelation chapter 2, they were theologically correct. They persevered. They tested stuff. They were going for it. And I would have thought, wow, I wish there was Oceanside. But he says this, but I have this. One thing. You've fallen out of love with me. It's become a ritual. It's become a, an event. God never intended our relationship to be an event on a Sunday or a prayer meeting on a Thursday an event where I do my church thing, we know those are where we come together, Hebrews 10 says, so that we can encourage and spur each other on. God wants us to come full of the overflow of what he's doing, this presence of God. I'm praying for more of the presence of God in our meeting, more in our lives. So we come together, we just leak the presence of God, that people are drawn in 
by the, by the presence of God. Guys, I want us to go deeper and deeper into the things of God. Luke 11, he says this, if you ask for a fish, he won't give you a serpent or bread or stone, one of those ways around. Then he says this, how much more will the Holy God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What does that mean to me? He's not going to give me something to harm me. So when I ask him for his presence and I ask him for his anointing and he comes upon me and I start to sense his presence and feel his presence, I, can't, I shouldn't say, that's the devil. Well, I can't trust my father then. He says, how much more? He relates those two things to the Holy Spirit. And we need more of the presence of God and more of the Spirit of God in our lives and in the church. You see, this is what Paul writes. Dead people cannot save themselves, that's what I said, neither, uh, uh, neither can the spiritually, um, physically dead people cannot save themselves and neither can spiritually dead. And that's what Paul says here. As for you, Ephesians 2, 1 to 8, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. How, how many of you can identify with that? That was me times a hundred. My wife got saved two years before me. And we didn't live really bad lives, but I didn't like Christians. And I'll just leave it at that. And so when she became one, I did like her, so I was in a bit of trouble now. Because, but for two years, I tried to convince her they hypocrites say this and that, and we all look at what this guy, look at that, never mind what I was doing or why. It's amazing that we always project things on everybody else. And, uh, but what got me in the end was she was the transformation in her life. You know, that joy of our salvation when you first saved, there's just a love and a peace. That God wants us to live in daily. That's not an event that I had 20, 30 years ago, and that's when I got saved, and I just loved God and all of that. But now, well, I'm just saved. And it was the transformation of her life, seeing a change. And no matter I could argue with stuff, because she was a new Christian, and I would find all these, like, who made God, and what came first, the chicken or the egg, and all of these silly things. And, of course, she didn't know. That's it. I said, you see, you see, we can argue doctrine, we can argue that, but we cannot argue with a life that's been transformed by the power of God, that is full of the presence of God, that is full of the joy of the Lord, in spite of circumstances, because joy and happiness are different. I got a great job, I'm happy. I got fired, life sucks. Up and down, up and down. The joy of the Lord, the joy is transcendent. It's an inner peace, it's an inner joy, the transcendent peace and joy that transcends circumstance. And when you meet people that truly walk in the joy of the Lord, you see it and you know it. And it's attractive. It draws people to them. They transcend circumstance. I've seen people go through some incredible things and there's just this peace and this joy. And the other people are just worrying about everything all the time. Everything's an issue. 
We need to let those guys, and I've been there. I've got all of these t-shirts. That's why I can preach this. You see, we were dead in our transgressions, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived amongst them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and evil thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. These are scriptures you know, but we need to understand it. But because of God's love for us, God who is rich in mercy, Romans 5 says, God demonstrates his love for us that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if I can't tell you how much I mocked Deborah and mocked Christianity and a lightning bolt didn't come out and strike me, I have no idea why. Whilst we were still sinners, Jesus died, having no guarantee that you and I would respond to his love, his mercy, and grace. Because God gave us a free will. And we need to get this, church. Free will is the ultimate expression of love. Why did God give us a choice? Why does he hear all of those things? I tell you, because what is the opposite of free will in a relationship? Abuse. I don't lock Deborah in the house and beat her and say, you better stay there, and you better be there when I get home. That is abuse. And God doesn't come in and say, listen, um, if, you don't, if you don't do this, this, and this, there's consequence, but I'm not going to make you do it. You have to choose to do it. Free will is a choice. And God gives us a choice to to reject him or receive him. It's an amazing thing. But his heart is that none would perish. His heart is for all to come to this relationship. But we all can decide ourselves. He says, Made us alive for us by grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 speaks about our identity who we are, God chosen, and so on. And then it goes into to speak about the authority we have, this incomparably great power that is for us who believe. It is not for unbelieving believers, but it's for believing believers that the same power and spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in us, and he wants us to see us walk in that power. And... So we get, don't get our identity from what we do. We get our identity from who we are, which are children of God. And out of that, we operate in the authority that God has given us and placed upon us. And he did this. He saved us in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What an amazing Scripture. You see, and for this reason, we who were spiritually dead, I'm just reminding us, and if you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to understand this, need to be made spiritually alive. 
just like a dead person in a coffin, cannot make himself move and do stuff that I do now. He can't do that. So when we are spiritually dead, we cannot save ourselves. So this is the key to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in John chapter 3, 3 to 6, Jesus says this. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus. Uh, Nicodemus is quite impressed with the miracles he's done. But in verse 3 to 3, Jesus changes the conversation. And he says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Very truly, I tell you. That's an amazing thing from Jesus. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus, the living word, is trying to make an exclamation of exclamation about the fact that we must be born again. Nicodemus, and we scoff at this, but I, when I was spiritually dead, I would have said exactly the same thing. How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter the second time into the mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered again, Very truly, Nicodemus, if you don't get this, you cannot enter into the kingdom. This is the entry point into the kingdom. Being born again, being born of the Spirit. Church, you can go to church, to, to, to church your whole life. You can worship, you can tithe and do all of those amazing things that we should do. But going to church does not make you a Christian. Like I said, living in a garage does not make you a car. It's being born again, born of the Spirit. And some people, we need to teach the gospel. We need to teach people this. They come in, and we have a, a church, an amazing church, and we have people from all different religious backgrounds. And then we need to teach people the gospel, not to assume that it's not by serving something. It's not by attendance. It's not by all of those things. It's about being born again, born of the Spirit. Because he says this, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and born of the Spirit. And my picture of that, and there's different views on this, but to me, when you are born, physically born, the thing that has to happen is the water needs to break. And you are born, born of water. So we have a natural birth, and we are alive naturally, but we're dead spiritually because of sin. We have to be born again. We have to receive Jesus Christ, accept Him as His Lord and Savior. And the moment we do that, we become a brand new creation. The old is gone, all of that is gone, and we enter into this beautiful life, the spiritual life, where we can have communion with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Tim Keller says this, We are more sinful and flawed than we could dare to believe, yet more loved and accepted in Christ than we can ever conceive. God loves us. God made this plan. 
God sent his son to carry out this plan. And Jesus, Philippians 2 says, he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross for us. He took our sin to set us free. And we need to think back to the time we are saved because there was joy that was released into us and that needs to be restored, the joy of our salvation. What Christ Jesus did for you on the cross, what he did for you at Calvary, how he set you free if you receive him as your Lord and Savior. And you're no longer dead. You're alive. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. Dead in my transgressions. Accepted Jesus Christ and alive forever and ever for all eternity. And I just want to put this in because how many of you know whose 500th birthday it was? It was Martin Luther's. He's not around anymore. But 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittemann. 500 years ago, on the 31st of October, isn't it wonderful, the same night of Halloween, this revelation was taken, that was given to, to Luther, and he nailed it to the door. And this revelation is simply this, that we are justified by faith and not by works. We cannot earn our salvation. Luther was a devout Catholic. He was trying his best. He was in a monastery. He would go in solitary confinement. He would beat himself. He would do all of this and he trying to get holy. He would pay penance and all of this and thoughts would come into his mind that were evil and all of that and it just brought more and more condemnation because he tried in himself and if we're trying to save ourselves we're trying to make ourselves good, give up right now. We need to surrender to Christ and help him change him, not from the outside in, change us, but he changes us from the inside out. And this is his thesis in a very small nutshell. You can go and study forever on this amazing man. The Protestant church was birthed through this revelation that all through Jesus Christ can have direct access to God. That revelation was lost somewhere along the way. People had to go to the priest. They had to do this. They had to do that. They, even today, we've had Catholic people come in here, and they cannot believe that some of them, actually, I promise you, over the years, they said, can I come confess my sin to you? So I said, sure, if I can help you, pray for them, but why? Well, you know, I want you to speak to God for me. Say, no, 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 no. You can do that yourself. And we can help you through the process. But that was the first time in Luther's life. The second revelation was part of this, that salvation cannot be earned through good works. Salvation is received by faith through grace. It can never be achieved. Because when is good ever good enough? I said this morning, I said it again, I love water, and bottled water is really great. You know, it's nice and filtered and all of that. But if I drank from this, and some of my spittle went in here, how many of you would like a sip of it? 
But it's only a little bit of spittle. It's not even a whole bottle of it. You see, one sin makes us a sinner. And Christ died for all sins. So we either walk around with condemnation or we run into his arms daily. And we come into his presence. And we allow him to wash us clean. You see, and he also realized, and this was the key scripture, this was the actual scripture he was reading when this light of revelation hit him. He had read this over and over. It was Romans 1.17. And I'll read Romans 6, 1.16 first, for Paul writes this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God. The gospel alone is the power of God, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He took our sins, and when we confess our sins, He forgives us and cleanses us, and we accept Him as our Lord and Savior. We are saved. The power of the gospel is what transforms life, not the power of persuasion, not the power of good works. None of those. Those bring condemnation. And to everyone who believes. So the salvation is available to everyone. First the Jew and then the Gentile. This is the key. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. He had been trying as a good monk to attain righteousness in his own strength. And the more he tried, the more depressed he got. Because he realized it was impossible. And he reads this, he says, wow, my righteousness is by faith, just by believing in God. And he wrote Romans 4 and 5 against all um, um, issues, against Abraham in faith. Sorry, my mind is um, a bit wobbly. Against all hope, even Abraham in hope believed, being fully persuaded that God was able to do what he had promised. And that belief was accredited to him as righteousness. So our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ is what saves us. And we need to let go of all of the stuff that people put on us. We need to understand that at Calvary, our sins were forgiven. Were you around 2,000 years ago? No. So he forgave your sins before you even sinned. And we stand today and we're worrying about the sin we've done. Yes, we, we, we've got to um, repent from it and turn away from it and deal with it because God is not into sin. Sin costs Jesus his life. But God is into transformation from the inside out. So we understand it's by faith in Jesus Christ where God turns us around from the inside out. And so what is our faith in? Our faith is in the finished work of the cross. The complete and finished work of the cross. And if you can Google this, you can look at this up. It's called The Way to Salvation, The Roman Road. And I'm going to share some of those. There's more scriptures than these. Because I, there may be some of you that have never, ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You might have felt his presence. You might enjoy the community and all of that. And God's got your number. He will never force himself upon you. He's given you a free will. 
and you will, he will encourage you and put us in situations where we can receive the gospel over and over and over. But I don't want to push that over to when there's no more overs. Because these are eternal things that we're talking about. And so when we're walking with our friends in that, that's why it's important that we represent Christ well and we're important that we are secure in all of that because there are people around us that need Jesus Christ. And often, like me, people, when it, when it was brought down, I wasn't angry with Jesus. Well, I didn't even know Jesus. All of my stuff was at the church. And the church has not represented Jesus well all the time. And we're going to change it around. But it starts with the transformation from us. When we squeeze the toothpaste tube of our life, let's hope that toothpaste comes out of it. When the pressure comes, and when that comes upon us, we need to go. We need to reflect, I do, God. That's what I'm doing. Say, God, I didn't even know that was there. God's not angry. So my boy, I paid the price for that. We're going to walk through this. Come on, I'm going to help you on. You get clean, you set free, and you move on. That's what he wants. In Romans 3.10, my buddy on the, it's a hard day to be on, um, on the overheads for me today, hey Tim? You've done a good job. So we need to understand, first of all, there is no one righteous, not even one. Okay? We're just going to go through this quickly. 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Next one. 6.23, and the wages of sin is death. That death is a spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And this is how we are saved. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is your heart that you believe and are justified. Justified means we are made just as if we had never sinned and as if with mouth that you are confessed and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is amazing scripture. The gospel is for anyone. And everyone, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this is the amazing thing. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace through God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing love story. The peace of God, the transcendent peace of God of Philippians 4, where we have anxiety and we have stress all over us, but we can give it to Jesus. And he says, my boy, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about Tristan. Don't be anxious about your family. Don't be anxious about Oceanside. Don't be anxious about the travel. Don't be anxious. Just give it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. I will see to it. 
And he says, and then I will allow the priest of God to come upon you that will transcend your natural understanding and will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. The transcendent peace of God is this. Everything is a mark in our lives. You ever been there? Stuff is not working out. We're doing our best, and it's just not working. And we're striving and striving and striving, and eventually we get to the time we say, God, I can't do it. And he says, my boy, I wish I could have told you that a year ago. I'm going to give it to you. Thank you. I've been waiting for you to do that. I paid the price for this. Now I want to fill you with my peace. I want to fill you with my presence. I want to fill you with my joy. I want you to be attractive to people out there, just not by what you say, just by my presence in you. You say, Dad, fill me with that. And you get to a stage where all the sirens are going off and the transcendent peace, the peace that transcends our natural understanding, comes upon us. And it's a beautiful place to be. Doesn't mean we don't stick our head in the sand. But when we are at peace, when we are at peace with God and with each other and so on, we think more clearly. God can speak more clearly. And ultimately, like I say, no matter what happens, we win. We win because our names are written into the Lamb's, in the Lamb's book of life. Is that amazing? Who can ignore such a great salvation? So I'm praying if you could please bow your heads and... And I want to pray a prayer, simple prayer. There's no, there's no formula. But there may be some here that have never actually prayed the prayer because they haven't known about it. Grown up in the traditional church where somehow by being christened as a baby, you're a Christian and all of these weird things that come along. And if you've never prayed this prayer and you mean it, you want Jesus Christ to come into your heart. Or if your first love has gone cold for whatever, circumstances and all of that and, and so on, and, and you just want God to fill you with his presence. And then one said that may never ever have understood salvation or accepted Jesus Christ. God is here for you and he's talking to you. And I don't know who you are. But he does. I want to tell you that he values you, he loves you, and he paid the price for your sin. And circumstances might not change right away, but he will be with you through every storm and every trial. He will never leave you or forsake you. And even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will prepare a feast in the presence of your enemies. The good shepherd, he loves you. And the ones that are weary tonight, I pray, I pray in a way that we stop trying in our own strength to please God or to do stuff. So if you'd like to pray this prayer, Father God, just pray it in yourself if you want to. I thank you 
for sending your son Jesus to pay the price for my sins. Lord Jesus, I thank you for taking my sin upon you on the cross so that I, relationship destroyed by sin, can be restored with my Father. And Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I want to be born again, born of the Spirit, Lord Jesus. I want to enter into your kingdom. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I give it to you. And I accept, and I accept you, Lord Jesus, as both my Lord and my Savior. If you pray that prayer, you're born again. And for ones that are dealing with condemnation, the Word of God is simple. Just confess your sin. John 1, John 1, 9. And He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you do that, and when you do that, you are set free. Because that price is already paid. Church, we're going to um, worship for a little bit, if that's okay with you. How are you doing? I feel a bit dozy and a bit mixed up, so I hope it makes sense, but I feel good. <laughs> I feel good hearing that again. <laughs> I heard it this morning. <laughs> ah, that's good, Lord. I love that. So we're going to break bread. Because we do it in remembrance of what Jesus Christ did for us. And I'm going to read from Corinthians 1, 11, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Have we got that there, Tim? 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. We're going to worship God and I'm going to invite you if you'd like to just to come and Partake of the elements and uh, you can pray by yourself if you want to. You can pray each other. Because I'm just praying, I'm trusting that the peace of God and the presence of God is going to be all over you. And this week's going to be a good week, not because circumstance change, but because God is tangibly be with you and you will know it. Since for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And Lord, we do remember what you did on that cross, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your body, broken for us, Lord. We thank you for the price you paid. 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me.